So we're starting a new series this week, and it's based on one of our five core values. Our five core values as a church are pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. Pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. Say it with me. Pray, give, invite, mentor, serve. We want to be a congregation that's a praying community that is totally and completely dependent upon God. Pray, give. We want to be a generous community, not just giving our financial resources, but giving our time and our energy and our creative passions to each other, giving our emotions to each other, being available for each other. Pray, give, invite. We want to be an invitational community, inviting people not just into this space and into church, but inviting people into our lives, into our homes, into our conversations. Pray, give, invite, mentor. We want to be a congregation that is mentoring the next generation to prepare them to lead people to that next step of faith and that next step of leadership. Pray, give, invite, mentor, and serve. We want to be a serving community. And you saw even just like this week, we're sending a group to Zambia that's going to be serving in some incredible ways in villages of hope. There's so many opportunities to serve around this place. But I wanted to start the year focused on the core value of prayer. And I didn't just want to preach on prayer. I'm going to preach on prayer. I'm going to preach on prayer today. But I wanted to give you some practical handles that maybe would be helpful for you in your own prayer life. And so each week I'm going to interview one of our pastors and ask them to share a little bit about just their own prayer life, which is a pretty vulnerable thing to do. And a lot of times folks don't like to talk about their prayer life, but they have agreed to do this. And I think it's going to be super, super helpful for all of us. And so I'm starting this week with Kathleen Achi, our pastor of community care. A lot of you know Pat, uh, Kathleen, love Kathleen. Would you welcome Kathleen up to the stage? So Kathleen, first of all, thank you for doing this. I know that it feels a little vulnerable uh, to do this, but I think it's also helpful for folks. And I want to start by just kind of on a practical level, uh, just talking about like your prayer life and how you do that, times of the day, when, when that happens, all of that focus, all that. So talk a little bit about how you engage God in prayer. Yeah, so um, I have a very distracted mind <laughs> and I have to put markers down for myself of when you know things are going to happen because if I don't, they don't happen. And the day goes by and I'm just kind of completely lost. So um, I started coming around to this idea that uh, during COVID when things were so hard mm. and prayer was so needed and there was so much going on in the congregation in our own in our own personal lives in the country that I just felt like I needed to figure this out better. And so I started with the idea that often we get up in the morning and pray. That's not my best spot to start doing that, you know, that that's not the best time for me. But what was better was to think about the fact that at midnight is when the day starts. Huh. And so when I went to bed, I didn't go to bed at midnight necessarily, but when I went to bed, kind of giving the day over to God, kind of thinking about the things that had happened that day, but then saying, oh, and a new day is dawning, huh. and what are you bringing huh. to this day for me? What is, what is going to happen? Um, how can I be what you want me to be? Um, how can I do the things you want me to do? And it's kind of based on the Psalm um, 8, which I recite before I go to sleep, 
is the fact that, you know, God hangs the moon and the stars and we are, and he orders things and we are the people that he uses to carry out the things that he wants to happen. And part of that is with prayer. Yeah. And so at night, that, that's the time when I lift up my, my husband, um, my kids, their spouses, and my grandkids by name and knowing the things that they're going through. So that's, it's kind of like, that's the start of my day yeah. and that God would give them good rest during this time and that God would be renewing their minds and their hearts. Mm-hmm. So then the next morning when I wake up, I'm slow to get out of bed. It takes me a long time. I wake up really early, but getting out of bed and then getting ready to go for the day is a slower process for me these days. So um, I kind of dedicate that time to all the folks that, um, that are here at the church, people at the church that I know their needs, that my volunteers mainly, that's the big ones, mm-hmm. is the, the people that, the counselors, the prayer teams, all those people that are just praying through the week and helping folks that I'm lifting them up. Um, then I, uh, leave home and I get in my car and as I'm driving here, the six or seven miles that I'm driving here, I first pray for my mom. I pray for my brothers and sisters and my husband's siblings. Um, just because we don't get to see them. I don't know, like know everything that's going on in their lives, but just to lift them up for the day. And then friends, that's the last thing as I'm, you know, kind of pulling in the parking lot of friends that I know, the deep needs that they have and the concerns. Yeah. As I'm getting out of the car, I know this sounds very methodical, but I need this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I get out of the car, I'm praying for um, coming into the building. Uh, what's going to meet me that day? What are the needs of, of you all? What are the needs of our staff? All of that. What will I be in? What meetings? What decisions will be made? that God would be in all those and I'd get out of the way so I could see what he was doing rather than what I wanted to do. Um, when I leave the day, as I'm walking back to my car, I'm thinking to, I'm praying to God that, you know, whatever was done today was enough mm-hmm. and that you've got it. Yeah. Um, then when I get home, it's more about the evening. I, I'm, it came out of the fact of needing to pray without ceasing, and that's what it meant to me. Yeah. In the evening, um, when I'm wildly chopping vegetables while I'm preparing <laughs> dinner, that's another time to just reflect on what are the things God wants to change in me yeah. and the things that I'm working on and, and how, do, how do I do all that. Yeah. Um, and then 10 and then o'clock back, comes yeah, again, yeah, yeah. around yeah. again. So it's helpful for I me. think what's so cool about it is that as you've developed your own rhythm of prayer that you have kind of um, built it around um, common activities that you do. I think a lot of times we always think about prayer as, oh, it's got to be a time away right. from everything. But in many ways, you have ingrained it and, and put it together with kind of common tasks that you're doing throughout the day, sure. which is very, well, it's very time, cool. It's, it's wasted time, right? I mean, I, yeah. rather than, I don't know, like you're taking a shower and you're doing something then, you're driving and you're yeah. doing something then. Yeah, so, yeah. So all of us at times struggle with prayer, and I know that you probably at times struggle with prayer. So where, where, where is it that you feel like that struggle comes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's trying to um, pray in a way that makes God look at my point of view for myself or another person. Uh, you know, we all do that, right? Talk God like, into, yeah. Huh? Talk God into. Yes, yeah, talk whatever. God into my agenda. <laughs> right. And, um, and just kind of... Um, the, the struggle of releasing that of what God wants to do in people's yeah. lives and not what I want to do. And I think that's always the hardest part, mm. you know, for 
like I'm not God, so I can't pray that way. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And how have you seen your prayer life just change over the years? Yeah. You know, you've walked with the Lord for a, a long time sure. and just seasons of life even. How, does right. it change? Has it changed? Yeah, yeah. so I think, um, I think early on as a mom with little ones, it feels impossible to pray. Mm. It, it just, you're stealing minutes here and there and constantly getting interrupted. Um, and so I think that was a really hard season that I felt like I, I have to kept find, had to try to keep finding the place, the mm. time, the staying up too late, getting up too early, you know, whatever. Um, and all of those are right things, but you just have to keep trying. You just have to right. keep trying. You can't let it go. Um, and then just as, um, as time went on, just being willing to change what I'm doing if it's not working anymore. So, huh. you know, the different huh. things that I'm doing with prayer. Um, and again, I think COVID was the thing that really nailed it for me this time. For this season, this is what God wants me to do. Yeah, and figuring out what works for you at right. that stage of life, exactly. given the realities of that stage of life and not right. kind of putting other people's systems and structures right, exactly. and all that on yourself. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what's the impact? What, what are some of the ways in which just spending time with God has just impacted you yeah. personally? So he certainly has changed me, hmm. you know, in ways that um, are just so uh, impact, so, so profound. Um, I, I try, I, I think God shows me that I need to see people and see myself as we are and accept that way, that, that as people are, and that he's the change agent and not me. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> That's hard. And, <laughs> and, you know, so so doing, I think doing, you know, that sort of thing, um, I think it's helped me develop more healthy relationships mm. because I'm not always in their business mm. um, and that I see, I see um, myself in them and I see God in them, mm. and rather than me um, talking too much or giving too much advice or anything, it makes it easier to sit back and just watch what God's doing mm. and be witness to that wow. instead of me inputting myself all the time. And kind of holding things loosely, right. uh, more Absolutely. loosely, yeah, because yeah. of that. Yeah. Kathleen, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I know that I know this sometimes is uncomfortable, but yeah. this was awesome. Would you show your appreciation to Kathleen? All right, so um, for this series, we're gonna hang out in one of my favorite books of the Bible, and you guys know that. It's the book of Psalms. Psalms was Israel's prayer book. It was a book of prayers in poetic form uh, that God gave to Israel to help them basically to deal with the challenges of life, to deal with hardships and struggles and difficulties and all of that, and to deepen their relationship with God. And it does the same thing for us. And specifically, over these next three weeks, we're gonna look at uh, three of my uh, favorite psalms for very, very different reasons, as you will come to find out. Psalm 103, Psalm 88, and Psalm 51. And we're gonna look at three different kinds of prayers, each of which that are represented by each of those different psalms. A prayer of praise and thanksgiving, a prayer of lament and confusion, <laughs> because that's what we are sometimes, is just very confused, and a prayer of confession and, and forgiveness. And we're gonna start today with a prayer of praise and thanksgiving, Psalm 103. And it begins this way. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins, heals all of your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So David starts this psalm with what is called uh, a Hebrew parallelism. And a parallelism is basically repeating the same thing, but saying it in two different ways. And that's what David does here. David says, oh my soul, praise the Lord. And then he says, oh my soul, forget not all of his benefits. Now, he's not saying two different things there. He's not saying, praise the Lord and forget not all of God's benefits. He's saying those are the same thing. He's saying that to praise the Lord is that we praise the Lord by not forgetting all of his benefits, by not forgetting all the things that God has done for us. So everything else in the chapter, and that's, if you're graphing out this chapter, and you have to do that sometimes if you take a homiletics course or a hermeneutics course, hermeneutics course is that you have to kind of graph out a chapter that maybe you're preaching on or you're studying or you're teaching on. If you graph this one out, it's really super simple because basically the first two verses are followed by examples of everything the first two verses talk about. So everything that follows verses one and two are all of the benefits that he sees that God has provided for him, all the things that God has done. So he says, praise the Lord. And to praise the Lord means to not forget his benefits, to not forget what God has done for you. And then he spends the rest of the chapter listing all the benefits, listing all the things that God has done for him. So everything else in the chapter is just a rehearsing of God's benefits. He starts off by saying, this is a God who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies you and the needs of your heart satisfies you with good things, things that are good for you, not things that destroy you, and pursues justice for the oppressed. And in those first six verses, he's just getting started. Last week, Alan talked about the importance of making memories, making memories uh, with our family, making memories with people that we love, making memories with God. And like, what does it mean to make memories with God? And what David is reminding us of here and what the rest of scripture reminds us of is that not only should we be committed to making memories, but God is committed to making memories as well. 
that God is a memory-making God, that Scripture is filled with all the memorable things that God has done, things that God does not want us to forget. And remembering what God has done is one of the greatest resources that we have for dealing with all the challenges and the struggles and the difficulties of life. That when we remember what God has done, we can handle whatever it is that comes our way. Things that we weren't expecting, phone calls that we got, losses that we experienced, news that we did not see coming, that when we remember what God has done, that we can handle whatever comes our way. But when we forget what God has done, we get overwhelmed by the challenges, overwhelmed by the uncertainties, overwhelmed by the struggles of life. And that's the reason that praise is so important. That's why praise is not optional equipment for a Christian. That's why praise is standard equipment for a Christian because to praise is to remember. And without praise, we forget what God has done for us. Now, from a biblical perspective, remembering something is just is not about just having a mental recall of something. It's not about just being able to recall that something happened. In fact, in the Bible, to remember something is to have it so ingrained in your consciousness, so centered in your consciousness, so centered in your soul that it impacts how you act. It impacts how you behave. It impacts the way that you respond. It impacts the way that you react to things. It impacts all of that. How many times have you done something stupid and you said to yourself right after you did that, you said, I will never, ever, ever do that again. Because in that moment, the memory of what you did and how it hurt you or how it hurt someone that you love was so ingrained in your consciousness that the thought of doing it again was absolutely and totally reprehensible. And that moment is like, I will never, ever, ever do that again. But then a little time goes by and you find yourself doing the same stupid thing and that doesn't happen because you can't recall what you did. You can recall it. It's just that it's no longer ingrained in your consciousness the way that it was when it first happened. At first, your memory of it gripped you. It caused you to change your behavior. But then over time, the memory faded. You could still recall it, but it no longer gripped you like it once did. That's true when it comes to remembering what God has done for us. Over and over and over again in the Bible, we see the people of God forget what God has done. They can mentally recall it, but it no longer impacts how they live. It, it loses its grip on them. And the same thing happens to us. Over time, memories of what God has done for us begin to lose their grip. They no longer impact the way that we act, the way that we respond to things the way that we 
think, the way that we function, the way that we behave. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Rod, that's not true of all memories. Like there are some memories that I have, things that were said to me or things that were done to me all the way back to when I was a child that still have a grip on me. They still impact the way that I act. They still impact the way I behave. They still impact the way that I respond to things. In fact, in some cases, for some of you would say, I process this with friends or a counselor or whatever, and, and they often trace it back to something that was said when I was a kid or something that was done when I was a kid. So those memories haven't faded at all. And that's true. And the reason that's true is because we live in a broken, sinful world And here's the deal about living in a broken, sinful world. Sin screws up your memory. Like it's one of the impacts of living in this broken, sinful world is that sin screws up your memory. Memories of things that should keep you confident and affirmed and filled with joy are the memories that tend to fade over time. But memories of the hurtful things the painful things, the ugly things that we have experienced, they tend to remain in our memory in like vivid technicolor. They are always at the center of our consciousness, impacting how we act, how we react, how we respond, how we behave. That's the reason it takes someone telling you a hundred times that you're great before you actually believe it. But if someone tells you one time that you stink, it moves to the core of your consciousness. And it's not just if you thought like, yeah, I hate that about myself. It's not just you that struggles with that. It's everyone that struggles with that. All of us struggle with that. That's part of living in this broken, sinful world because sin messes with our memories. That's why praise is so important. That's why praise is not optional equipment. That's why praise is standard equipment because praise helps us remember the good stuff in our lives. That's why throughout scripture, God is always telling his people to find ways, find ways, find ways to remember what I have done for you because he knows how quickly the memories of God's faithfulness will begin to fade. When Joshua led the Israelites, remember the story across the Jordan River and God stopped up the Jordan River so they could walk across on dry land into the promised land that he had given to them. And as soon as Joshua gets across the other side, God tells Joshua, I want you to take 12 large stones out of this dry riverbed and I want you to build this altar right here. It's going to be an altar of remembrance because I want you to not forget what I have done for you. I want for it to be at the core of your consciousness. I want for it to be ingrained in your consciousness what I have done for you in this place. And that's what praise is. Praise, in a very real sense, is building an altar of of remembrance so that we don't forget what God has done for us, so that it remains ingrained in our consciousness and impacts the way that we function, the way that we act and react and behave and respond to things. 
So what are the altars of remembrance that David is building in this prayer of praise? Well, we've already looked at some of them in verse six, but the rest fall into two broad categories. The first has to do with how God treats our sins. Look at what he says. He made known his ways, talking about God, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Can I get an amen? He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Can I get another amen? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love that metaphor. That has been a metaphor that I have hung on to for most of my journey with Christ because the horizon on the east and the horizon on the west never meet. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how far you travel. The horizon on the east and the horizon on the west never come together. And David is saying that's how far God has removed our sins from us. And through this prayer, David is building an altar of remembrance so that he will not forget how God has dealt with his sin. And if you remember, and Christy Hayes, who was here January 1st, did such an amazing job in leading us that first day of the new year, talked about David has some big sins to be forgiven. Is that David was an adulterer, and then David, to try to cover over his adultery, had hit the husband of the woman that he had an adulterous affair with, had him killed, had him put on the front line of battle so that he would die. And so he had some huge stuff to deal with. He did all of these things, and he wants the way that God has dealt with his sin to be ingrained in his consciousness. He wants it to shape the trajectory of his life. He wants it to impact how he acts and how he reacts and how he behaves and how he thinks and what he does. In 2 Peter 1, Peter says that remembering what God has done, especially remembering what God has done for us on the cross, is actually the key to our spiritual growth. Look at what he says. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control. This is all about spiritual growth stuff. Self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. It's all talking about fruits of the spirit, spiritual growth in our lives. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, in other words, they should be growing in your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, and this is where he kind of takes a turn and you go, I didn't see this coming. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind 
and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. In other words, if you're not growing in all these ways that Peter is talking about, it's because you have forgotten. You have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten what God has done. You have forgotten his benefits. You have forgotten how God has worked in your life. You have forgotten the forgiveness and the grace that he has given. Peter is saying, if you're not growing spiritually, it's because you've forgotten what Jesus did for you on the cross. You may know it, Cognitively, you may even believe it and believe that it happened and believe that it's true, but if it's not ingrained in your consciousness, if it's not impacting how you live and the decisions you make and the way that you respond, then you have forgotten what God has done. That's what Peter is saying. And the other altar of remembrance that David is building with this prayer is focused on how God will never forget us and never abandon us. Look at what he says. As a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. David is reminding us here that human life at its best, at its best, at its best, human life is fragile and it's short. It's like the grass that is here for a moment and then the wind blows and it's gone. And then he says something pretty haunting, actually. He says, its place, in other words, the people around it, the people around us, the things around us, its place remembers it, talking about life, talking about human life, remembers it no more. Now, that's a question all of us, I think, deal with at some level. Is we wonder, like, how will, be, how will we be remembered? And for how long will we be remembered? And for most of us, it's not that long. Like, I don't know much about my grandfather's grandfather. And, and, and let me just ask you, how many of you know the name of your great, great grandfather? Let me just see your hands. Okay, three of you. Two are not telling the truth, but three, no. No, no, I believe that. I believe that. That's about right. Is that most of us just, we do not know. And that was not that long ago. That was just a few generations ago. 
And in a few generations, not many people will be sitting around talking about us as well. Like someone in our family may do some research on us on Ancestry.com and find a document or two or something about this crazy person that lived in Fairfax and was a preacher or whatever, like they find out. Maybe they'll do some of that. If we've written a book and it has staying power, a lot of books don't have staying power, but if we've written a book and it has staying power, then someone, generations down there, may be reading it, but that's the exception, not the rule. But David reminds us that for those who know God, for those who love God, for those who fear God and fear in the sense of respect God, for those who know God, God will remember you from everlasting to everlasting. That God will love you from everlasting to everlasting. That God will never forget you that God will never abandon you. On the cross, one of Jesus' last words were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, abandoned me, forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me in this moment? In that moment, Jesus was forgotten so that you would be remembered by God for everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. Can I get an amen for that? So here's the thing, is that if God will remember you from everlasting to everlasting, if that is his promise, why would you ever doubt that in this moment, in real time, in the midst of the stuff that you are going through right now, that God would abandon you or forget you or forget about what you are going through now. He will not. He will not. He not only remembers you from everlasting to everlasting to everlasting, he remembers you right now. He knows what you are going through right now. The stuff you are dealing with, the stuff you are facing, he has not forgotten you. He is not off doing something else. He is not, it is not lost on him. Everything that you are dealing with and facing in this moment, he knows you. He remembers you. So praise the Lord. Do not forget his benefits. Build altars of remembrance because remembering what God has done, allowing it to become ingrained in your consciousness will help you face whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is that life throws at you. David ends his prayer of praise with these words. And with these words, I end this message. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. That's us. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in dominion. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Praise the Lord. Forget not his benefits in the deepest recesses of your soul. God, we are so thankful for who you are and for what you have done. And Lord, we want to be people of praise. We want to be people whose prayer life remembers your benefits, remembers what you have done for us, that we are regularly, as the psalmist David did, we are regularly rehearsing the benefits, regularly rehearsing all of the ways in which your grace has been made manifest to us. Because we know when we remember, when we praise, when we forget not your benefits, we are able to face whatever it is that life throws at us in this broken, sinful world. And so, Lord, we praise you. We praise you. We praise you for who you are, but we praise you for what you have done and what you continue to do in our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.